for scripture reading today. Uh, there are two passages I'll read from. First is from Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, and then John 4, verses 1 through 26. So Exodus 17, 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? And then from John 4, verses 1 through 26. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have, said, just, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Throughout the morning, we've been singing and sharing, reading scriptures about thirst. And our theme this morning is being shaped through thirst. It's an appropriate title for our, the outline of this whole sermon series, examining how we are shaped in our faith and in our life. There was a father that had just finished putting his son to bed, and many of you parents would have known this or experienced this. He heard the boy call out, Dad, can you bring me a glass of water? No, replied the dad, you already had your chance. You know I told you not to keep delaying bedtime by asking for things. Now go to sleep. A few minutes later, the son called out again, Dad, I'm really thirsty. Can you give me a glass of water? Can you bring it to me? No, if you keep asking, I'm going to come in there and spank you. There was a bit of a silence. And dad thought, maybe it's settled down. But then he hears this voice of his son. The son had thought for a while and finally called out again. Dad, when you come in here to spank me, can you bring me a glass of water? We hunger and we thirst. And we thirst for water that does refresh. I don't know how many of you have ever drank pond water. We used to always joke about, oh, this is so bad it tastes like pond water, like we would know what pond water actually tasted like. But I'll tell you this, if you're ever on any of the survivor shows and you have a question about what you have available to drink and you decide to go for the pond water, uh, I know what's going to happen. It's not a pretty sight and a pretty image uh, because there are two parasites that you're uh, very likely to get, uh, cryptosporidium and giardia. Both of them will cause things like, and I know you've heard commercials, so I guess if they say it in a commercial, we can say it in a sermon, you can get diarrhea, you can get all kinds of gastrointestinal symptoms, stomach cramps, pain, upset stomach, nausea, dehydration, vomiting, fever, weight loss, um, very quick weight loss. It's not a great program, but all of these things end up becoming results of something that is contaminated and has contaminated our system. 
You know, in the last count or recent in recent years, approximately, and this comes from uh, information from the Mayo Clinic, approximately 2.1 billion people do not have access to clean drinking water. That number keeps increasing every day. As per a report from the World Health Organization, the demands for access to clean water and food have never been as pressing as they are today. The water that is available is so polluted that those who have access to it are consistently at risk of contracting all kinds of illnesses such as cholera, typhoid, and polio, just to name a few. And so the reality is, is that people who don't have access to clean, pure water are at great risk. And we see that all around us. And I'm mixing metaphors here because Jesus was initially starting out to confuse this woman at the well by his char- characterizing a different kind of water that was... To, to be there. It was a living water. And this won't, I won't cover all of the passages of scripture, but I will just cover at least four of them. Living water is a phrase that's found in different books throughout the whole Bible. There are four main instances that hold significance. Two of those are in the Old Testament, and two of those I'll cite in the New Testament. One of the early examples Uh, of living water in the Bible comes from Jeremiah 2.13 where God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And we're going to talk more about this in a bit, that, that, that one of the real issues is not just which kind of water, but which well. You get it from. And God early on is calling for a different kind of a well. And um, later in Jeremiah 17, 13, Jeremiah says of God, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. These two passages both refer to this spring of living water who God's people had abandoned and tried to do things on their own by digging up their own cisterns and turning away from him. The passages show that God gives his people everything they need like water and then they turn away from him and they are lost and hopeless. In the New Testament, we have the story of the Samaritan woman and in which she is asking for a drink. But later in John 37 to 39, Jesus once again speaks of living water and saying, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So in these two passages of John, Jesus is speaking again of living water and not just the water that we take in 
to our mouths. It's also a symbol of the drinking in of the Holy Spirit. Living water can be understood in various ways, but the clearest way of understanding it is, it is a symbol of salvation and the true knowledge of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And it is that true knowledge that is significant. Let's look at a couple of additional scriptures uh, very quick, quickly. Isaiah 12, 2-3 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. John six thirty five. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And John seven thirty seven, the next chapter. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said with a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So when Jesus comes to this passage in the very beginning of his ministry, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. But here's the problem. And I will say that I haven't always been a very good preacher. In fact, I'm still not sure I've ever quite learned how to. But one thing I did learn early on in my ministry was that when it comes to hard teachings of Scripture, when it comes to God confronting his people, that that doesn't go over very well with audiences. And particularly for a young preacher who is overly enthusiastic about confrontation that is in the word, but how it may be delivered, I will just say there were times that it was probably overbearing and too hard, too sharp. And that's our culture today. Make it softer. Make it an invitation. I even read a sermon this week where a pastor was saying, using some of these, these passages that I've used today, saying, all are accepted. All are blessed. All will receive God's grace, regardless of their decision. I don't know if you would agree with that or not. But the reality is that we are called to make choices. And we want to look at that. And let me just say, this is what we're confronting today. Honestly, we don't want to have to make a choice. We want all our options always before us. That was the problem in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't good enough that God provided all of these good things. Adam and Eve made a choice 
to have all their choices available. They made a choice in the deception of Satan in in deceiving them by saying, look, you know, did God really say, did God really mean, he confused them into saying, look, you ought to be able to choose from everything that's out there because you will all be accepted and and love reigns over all and, and God is love. So no one, no matter what their choice is, will be rejected or will be confronted. To that, let's look back to Jeremiah 2.17, where God says, Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now, why go to Egypt and drink water from the Nile? A lot of pond water in the Nile. And why go to Assyria and drink water from the Euphrates? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. And so we have this confrontation of saying, what will you choose? Will you choose a living water or will you choose pond water? Will you choose water that will corrupt, poison, and give you death eventually? There are 10 things that a company in London by the name of Living Water there were 10 things that they listed on a brochure that, that was what their company stands for as far as clean, what clean water will do. The benefits of, of picking their product of living water. I'm going to use their 10 to confound the point of their brochure. They were trying to sell their water. But there is a truth in their 10 points. And I'm going to go through them very quickly. Their 10 benefits of, uh, to their living water included, first of all, maintaining good health, to which I want to say, well, the living water Jesus is talking about empowers spiritual effectiveness and, pr- and being productive in the faith. It gives good health. Spiritual health. And you're going to hear me repeat that. Second, it keeps you cool. Well, the Jesus, living water of Jesus, keeps the body and our relationships in balance as well. Strong in the face of trials, no sweat. You know, you say that, hey, no sweat. I got this, no sweat. Right? Well, spiritually, Jesus is saying, There's no need to sweat this. I've got it. I've got you. I've got your back. You're fine. Third, facilitates recuperation after physical activity. Living water, as opposed to their living water, 
Living water of Christ increases the endurance and strength spiritually to be prepared in season, out of season, every season. Spiritually, we're equipped for that. Fourth, it improves energy levels while also enhancing alertness. Hello, the living water of Jesus creates a spiritual awareness through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about the power of the Holy Spirit to remind us of scripture, to remind us of everything that he had taught and, and had, had spent time explaining to his disciples and we have it in the word. And so that, that process of making us effective and enhancing our alertness is by the power of the Holy Spirit, danger signs come up when it's something that is not healthy for us spiritually. And all kinds of other prompts come from the Holy Spirit. Fifth, facilitate speedier recovery after an illness. Yeah, the living water of Jesus heals and mends the brokenness of sin, the brokenness of trials, the brokenness of being, uh, uh, being persecuted. All of those areas of brokenness is what Jesus comes to give us hope and healing and strength to endure. Sixth, it decreases the likelihood of a heart attack. Oh, now this company's going, you know, they're really selling it now. It, it increases, yeah, well, the living water of Jesus takes the weight of sin off and keeps one fit. It keeps our arteries open. It keeps us in good shape because we're living in the way that God called for and we're claiming the promises of God to always be with us and always lead and guide. No matter whether or not we have a heart attack or not physically, we are still just fine spiritually. That's the living water of Jesus. They go on. Seven, it aids maintaining a healthy weight. Whoa, well, what's the spiritual equivalent of that? How about this? Living water takes the weight of sin off and keeps us in spiritual shape. It keeps us from being overweight with the sin and brokenness around us, with the selfishness and being self-absorbed. People who are self-absorbed gain weight by thinking that they're more than they are and bigger than they are and yet it's sometimes called being obese with the brokenness of sinful ways. The company goes on, number eight, removes toxins from your body and by flushing them out. Well, so does the living water of Jesus Christ. It flushes out sin and the effects of sin. Think about this. How many of you have ever, and don't raise your hands, I know everyone here, guilt, stress, anxiety, shame, the feeling of being belittled and, and, and marked as not being high enough, the amount of bullying that goes on in this country and the, the story day after day in the news, there are new stories of people being put down and maybe it's just for their looks Maybe it's that the people were just looking for somebody to beat up regardless. They don't care. And that is the brokenness of sin. But I'll tell you this. There is healing for those broken experiences. 
And the, the, the blood of Jesus wants to come and flush through our veins and clear out all of the impurities that spiritually we can feel whole and renewed and strengthened. Their ninth one. Healthier skin. Okay, so hey, drinking more water and drinking living water gives you healthier skin. The living water of Jesus does change our complexion and makes us attractive to a world by the integrity of living out our beliefs regardless of the circumstances. Now that is the reason for a spiritual complexion that shows who Jesus really is. And their last one is, uh, their last one is that the teeth are in better overall health. Now what, what would be the spiritual equivalent? The living water of Jesus changes our smile and the effectiveness of our joy. People un- don't get it. You're going through all kinds of trials and yet we have joy and we can smile. It's not just the condition of our teeth, but it is the condition of our spiritual contentment with knowing that we are with God and God is with us and always will be. That is bigger than the, the, the dental appointments that I, I hate to go to, but I do faithfully. Um, it's, do we go to the dental appointments of, of scripture and do we, do we continue to drink in the living water that brings this life? Ultimately, ultimately, it comes down to one thing. In Psalm 84.1, there's a passage that Pastor Kenneth Squires refers to. He says, do you know that you already have, have the gift of consuming passion for hungering and thirsting? You activate it when you surrender your life to the Spirit's working. Billy Graham was once asked, what is the most important theological concept in the Bible? And without hesitation, his answer came immediate, surrender, surrender. To make a choice for the living water of Jesus involves surrendering everything. And so the question this morning is, who will you follow and what kingdom will you live for? Because who you follow and what kingdom you live for is going to determine whether you drink from Jacob's well or the well that will never run dry in Jesus Christ. So everything begins with a choice to surrender and a choice of which water, a choice of which well. Jesus said, as I mentioned earlier, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Isn't that what we want That's choosing to drink from the well. So I don't know what occupies your time, but one way to think about your investment in wells is where your time goes and where you spend it. 
Um, But when this woman at the well said, where can you get this living water? And then Jesus goes on to reveal that he in fact is the Messiah. He is the one that she believed would be coming from her history of faith with her people. Um, But it's remarkable. But the thing that is most remarkable about, about this story is not just the the teaching of Jesus and living water. It's what happens afterwards. She goes back into the town and she tells people this. And they see something in her testimony that is so real that a change in her life is so important in what she reported about Jesus that they have to go see for themselves. And it's so interesting uh, because... uh, In verse 22 of that passage in John, it says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. And Jesus goes on to say, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then notice what it says down in 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of her testimony And he told them, and she said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed with them two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, this is the people from the town, said to this woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but we have now heard for ourselves. And we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. How much evidence do we need? How many times do we drink from the wrong source and we drink the wrong kind of water? We look for something that will quench our thirst and that can be all kinds of temptations, all types of, of, uh, of enticements, that make sin look really good and beneficial, exciting, boring, church is boring. I want something that will be more exciting. And then it doesn't quench the thirst. It only makes us more oppressed and more and more under the oak, under the, the, the burden, the, the yoke, of the oppression of sin. And so we have a choice. This woman didn't stay silent. She went and she shared it. And many people, don't you want to talk to those people in heaven? What was that like back in that day? Those people are in heaven because they made a choice to believe and to pursue Jesus, the living water. And I would just love to hear and look forward to sitting down and hear what happened in this woman, in this woman's story. We don't know what the rest of her life was like, but we know it was different. We know it had to be different because she understood that she had just had a personal engagement at a well where she had a hearing with the Messiah himself. What an incredible thing. Are we ready to share our inner thirst 
with Jesus and to pursue it and seeking that with him. So we look for two stages of the experience, as John always mentioned. First, believing because someone told us about Jesus and their personal experience. Secondly, believing because we ourselves personally have come to know and experienced Jesus ourselves. So stop and think for a moment about the significance of Jesus on the cross. There is a Chinese character. So if you ever read Chinese, how many people here read fluent Chinese? Probably not very many. There's a character, which is their whole, the whole image of, their, their whole language is written in characters. There's a character for the word righteousness that is most interesting. The word righteousness is composed of two separate characters. One standing for a lamb and the other for me. The one character means me and the other character is a lamb. And when you take the lamb and put it over the character of me, it is interpreted and means righteousness. And so what a helpful picture of the grace of God. Between me, the sinner, and God, the Holy One, there is interposed by faith the Lamb of God. Jesus didn't come to just have a spectacular career. He didn't come to just wow people and amaze them with all that he could do. He came to change lives forever. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is, as some would say, the mark of a true Christian are those that truly hunger and thirst. Jesus gave everything, and he taught and he showed the way. There was a plane crash some years ago a Northwest Airlines flight, 225. It crashed just after taking off from the Detroit airport, killing 155 people. There was only one survivor in that plane crash, a four-year-old girl named Cecilia. News accounts say that when the rescuers found Cecilia, they did not believe she had been on the plane. She couldn't have been. Investigators first assumed that she had been a a passenger on one of the cars on the highway onto which the airliner crashed. But when the passenger register for the flight checked, there was Cecilia's name. She was on that flight. Cecilia survived because even as the plane was falling, Cecilia's mother unbuckled her own seatbelt, got down on her knees in front of her daughter, wrapped her arms and body around her against the seat and would not let her go. The sacrifice of Cecilia's mother was what enabled Cecilia to live. That is what Jesus did for us. 
He wrapped himself around us. And on the cross, one of the most peculiar things that you see, Jesus had a number of statements, it is finished. But one of the ones that you don't hear as much about is he says, in the middle of all that, I am thirsty. Which is an indication of his humanness and the reality of why he came was to be among us so that he could be within us, so that he could be around us, so that he could cover us and shield us from the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of sin. No matter what you're experiencing, I'll just tell you this. Jesus, on any flight, will be there and will wrap his arms around us and no harm will come because of what he's done. And we will rejoice on the other side of that. But for us, let's seek the living water that comes and flows through Jesus Christ. And let's seek the wells of where we drink and where we eat from, the, the, the places that we take into us, may they be according to the kingdom of heaven and not to the kingdom of this world.